I have something a little different today. When I say different, it's going to be part of this series, but I wasn't going to talk about this. I wasn't planning on talking about this. I was preparing the majority of the week to talk about something else. We were talking about truth and what is truth. And um, I wasn't intending to go this direction at all. So last night, I just started putting my notes together and, and really got my sermon prepared last night because it, I believed uh, I should address um, and, I, and I felt like I should talk about some of the things that have transpired this week with the abortion and Roe v. Wade um, being overturned. And so, um, like I said, I'm believing that the Lord will help me get this out and and believe with me i want to say this with grace and compassion and love and you know when you automatically say that you're going to talk about these things people deem some of these things political but i don't look at it as a political issue i look at it as a moral issue and morality comes from god okay and we're, we're going to get into some of that but um and I'm saying that from the onset because I know sometimes people will hear that they automatically will turn you off. Don't do that. Don't don't you know, and I know you guys won't, but out there listening, watching, don't just tune out and think, oh, he's getting too political now. <laughs> no, there are answers in the word of God. And just the fact that you are thinking about it, people are thinking about it and you have an opinion about it. Well, that means we need to go to the word of God and find out what the word of God has to say about it, because it you will come encounter with people in your lifetime that maybe not know what to do, how to handle it. And if someone comes to you and says, you know, what, what should I do? I, you know, um, I got pregnant, God forbid one of you or, or, um, someone, you know, and they're not married and they don't want the child well are you gonna say i'm sorry i can't talk about it. it's political i don't talk about political things that's foolish right mm -hmm. we need to know how to help people and we need and people need to know how to believe okay so go to romans chapter 12. i mean i agree i i don't like i don't want to go someplace where you know, church where all they're talking about is politics and what this politician said, what this politician did wrong, what they don't like about this politician. Man, I, I got enough issues, you know, to to deal with on my own. I don't need to be constantly hearing all the negative stuff going on and in, in government and politics, all the things I disagree with, all the policies I don't like. OK, let's pray about them. Let's listen you know, address it if it affects us. And a lot of things affects us, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm not just wanting to hear about politics all day. You know, that, that, that would get annoying. You know, I got, I got relationships and, and uh, with God that I need to um, grow in and with other people, with children and my spouse. And, and I have faith that I want to develop in with my, you know, with the Lord and stuff. And so, yes, some of these issues are important and we need to address them from time to time though. Okay. So Romans chapter 12, this is our, our text that we've been reading. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of god and so that's what we want to prove is what is the good and acceptable perfect will of god we don't know we don't want to know what our will is what the culture's will is, what society is saying is right and good and perfect and, and the will of the people. No, what is the will of God? And all of the issues of life, what is the will of God? And we started this series called Our Faith in the Culture. And um, really, we need to know not what the culture believes, but what should disciples believe right disciples follow the teachings of jesus christ 
disciples get our our standard is from the word of God. Our standard is Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, and he's the life. So our truth comes from him. He is our standard. The word of God is our standard, not society, not culture. Now, you'll hear me say that a lot because it is real easy to start adapting and thinking the way culture. I mean, I see it all the time by Christians just because I go on social media and especially you see that on like Twitter or Facebook um, more than maybe probably um, Instagram. Um, You see because people are constantly posting their thoughts, (laughs) you know, which you shouldn't always be posting what you're thinking because what you're thinking because what you're thinking is not correct and is not always accurate uh, as far as, you know, biblically. You know, because people sometimes post what they're thinking as though it's a truth that people should live by. And it's not. But um, we get our truth and our standard from the word of God. We need to get that so ingrained in us that our standard is the word of God. Nothing else is our standard. Our standard is the word of God of God. Okay. And if we do read other books, we are not, you know, people, cause that's one thing people, well, you need to read other books and you need to be, you know, um, uh, well read and, and, you know, just read books, just read books. No, you're not supposed to read every book and any book you read, you don't read it to see if the Bible is accurate. Now I, I like history and there's books like, uh, uh, Josephus, who was a historian and uh, uh, during the time that Jesus, during the day of Jesus, okay, a Roman historian, a Jewish Roman historian. I think I said that right, but um, but you do not need the histor- history of Josephus and what he says went on during that time to say that this is truth and this is accurate. No, this Bible critiques his book. It's not the other way around. And the reason why I say that is because some people use other literature to critique the Bible with. No, you don't critique the Bible with other literature. You don't take a science book, a history book, and say, okay, the Bible is true because of this book. No, this and what they're saying is either true or false based on this. Do you guys understand that? And we have to get that clear because it's real easy to be, well, what, what did they say in history? And I'm not saying that there is any valid validity to that because there are some important things to that. And I like to know some of those things to understand cultural um, context. But Jesus said what he said and he meant what he meant. We don't need a historian to interpret what he said and to interpret what he meant. Okay. We use the word of God for that. and We use other scriptures for that. Okay. So the word of God is our standard. The word of God is truth. We, our personal experience is not our standard. You know, there's a big push for that. We need to hear everybody's stories and everybody's experiences. Truth is truth. No matter what you or I's experience is, truth is truth. And that is our standard. And that is what we live by. And if we, not, and if we have not experienced the truth, then we need to believe God that we come up to a place and a level in our lives where we are living his truth. Okay? Yes, people had experiences. Yes, people have different perspectives. And people have experienced different things. And there is legitimacy to those things. But at the end of the day, the word of God still trumps your experience, what the word of God says. Okay. Um, now I want to be clear as we're going forward that, you know, we talk about spiritual warfare and we're talking about, you know, not being conformed that, and that they're, uh, the enemy is the God of the culture and he uses the culture. Um, and the battle though is not flesh and blood. Okay, our battle is not against people. Our battle is against these ideas, these thoughts that the enemy brings, okay, to deceive, to lead people astray, to get people off track. 
That is where the battle is. It's not against flesh and blood, okay? It's not against people. It's not against um, politicians. It's not against leaders. It's against these ideas and this deception, this, uh, the deception, okay? Are you guys follow me? So we need to be aware of these tactics. And so we talked a, an, about a number of different things, and I don't want to get into all that right now. Um, you can go and listen to them if you need to refresh yourself. But uh, let me just, we, we may go a little bit longer today because I want to take my time. I don't want to rush. I've never talked about this before. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things we've never talked about yet. <laughs> you know, I haven't talked about salvation much yet. And, and uh, I haven't talked about healing yet. There's a lot of subjects we'll be covering throughout the course of time, you know, but I haven't talked about this subject in particular yet. So I want to take my time with it and not rush it. But this is a controversial issue, like I said before, but just because somebody says something is political, that doesn't mean it is. Someone says that's a political issue. That doesn't automatically mean just because people say something is political, that it is political or that it started off as political. All right. Life is not political. Life is a moral issue. OK, we need to understand that because people are afraid to deal with any type of issue that is controversial. And they say, you know, we should stay away from any controversial issues. Well, John the Baptist didn't do that. What about John the Baptist? When he boldly approached Herod Antipas and confronted him about marrying his brother's wife. You guys know that story? John the Baptist, he confronted Herod Antipas. Uh, um, I, I don't know, I think I said it two different ways, but A-N-T-I-P-A-S, Antipas. Um, he confronted Herod about marrying his brother Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now Herod is a uh, is a political figure. He is the ruler of Galilee. Okay, he is a politician, if you will. I mean, he is. And John says it's not lawful. This thing that you do, that you marry, that you took your brother. Philip. Now, what's interesting about that is Philip is also the rule. He's a ruler of a province, of a, of a providence. And so um, he is, he, Herod took his own brother's wife to be his wife. And he calls him out on that. Is that something that most Christians will say, oh, stay away from that. That's controversial. You know, but John the Baptist evidently felt like he needed to address this moral issue going on in the political realm. OK. And what about Paul? Paul, when he actually you know, let's just go there, go to um, I know we're going to take a little time, but just go to Acts 24. Sometimes you guys need to just see see these things instead of just me saying it. Um, go to. Let me see here. Go to Acts 24. This is Paul going before Felix, who is the governor. Acts chapter 24. Um, and let's go to verse 24. It says, and after a certain day, so Paul, he is, he is talking to Felix, the governor. Okay. And it says, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, or you can say self-control and judgment to come, Felix trembled or he got afraid and answered, go your way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. Now, notice that it says Felix with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish. So he was not a Jew. She was. This is the same situation or similar situation to the Herod Antipas situation. He took 
Drusilla, which was somebody else's wife, as his own wife. This is a government official. And notice that it says that he, so Paul's talking to him and it says he reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Why would you have to talk to somebody about (laughs) self-control and judgment? And then he gets afraid. He wouldn't get afraid if he was saying, if the only thing he was telling him was Jesus loves you and he has a plan for your life and he wants you to have your best life. If that's the only thing he was telling him, I don't think he'd be like, oh no, uh, get out of here and we'll talk about this another time when I'm ready to talk. No, he is talking to him about things that we would call controversial. You are telling him to have self-control. You're talking to him about moral issues. You're talking to him about judgment. Just preach the simple gospel. Just preach the gospel that Jesus saves and he died for your sins and, and that he rose again. Now, yes, that is the main thing that we should talk about. That is the main uh, um, you know, point of the gospel is what Jesus did for us. But there are many things that he did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. It wasn't just that he took away our sins. And so you need to talk to people whatever they are dealing with at the time. If someone is born again, they're already saved, they're already going to heaven. It's not just preach the gospel to them. Well, what part of the gospel? If they're sick in their body, they may need to hear a different part of the gospel than you're going to heaven. Yes, but I'm sick is, you know, and I'm, I can't do the things I want to do. Jesus died for your sins. Well, but I'm sick and I'm broke. Jesus died and rose again. Well, there are certain parts of the gospel that you need to hear depending on what you're dealing with. And for some reason, Paul And John the Baptist did not feel like these are too controversial to discuss and to address. So I'm not going to do it. No, they Paul was put in that place to do that. Okay, so he touches on things that are not controversial. We need to understand that, you know, just because people call something controversial. Yes, it may be uncomfortable. There are uncomfortable things to discuss. There are uncomfortable things to talk about, but we can't be afraid to talk about and discuss uncomfortable things. If the Lord is directing us, if the Lord gives us something to say, if the Lord leads us to deal with it and we're prompted by the Lord, sometimes there's times not to, I'm not saying that we need to be calling out the president and governor on everything they're doing. Oh, you're, you're, that's immoral. This is wrong. This is wrong. That's not what I'm advocating. Okay. But we still need to understand and we still do need to know that there are times when we have to say uh, and address some things that are wrong and uncomfortable and controversial that we consider controversial. There may be a time where they say you can't talk about hell anymore. You can't talk about the judgment of God. That is hate speech. You can't ever say someone is going to hell if they don't repent. Now, I'm not saying that's how you start off, you know, witnessing anyway, but if they were to say that and to say it's hate speech and to say it was illegal, we don't say, hey, that's political now. Never talk about that. No, we still preach the gospel. We still offer the truth because truth is the only thing that sets people who are bound, who are confused, free. And that's the strategy of the enemy. He wants to confuse. He wants to blur. He wants to, uh, you know, mix things up so much that everything seems so controversial that we are so afraid to talk about it. And we are never giving people the truth because we always deem everything so controversial. That is a that is a trick of the enemy. And we're not going to fall for that. Okay, we're going to be aware of those of those uh, of his tactics. Now, in the issue of abortion, a couple things before I get to before I get to the main thing is you will hear this phrase and I had someone say this to me just recently. It said they said, "What about free will?" <laughs> and they said to me, "God gives us free will." 
who are you and who are other people to think if God gives free will that they can take that away? Well, first of all, that's not an argument. And you guys need to understand that, too. And I, and I know some I'm dealing with people that are smart, but you need to understand that just because people say something that doesn't make it true and that doesn't make it an argument and doesn't mean you have to respond to it. Just because someone says you're a bigot and you're a homophobe, that's not an argument. You are just stating an opinion and there's no evidence to support what you're saying. So you don't feel like don't feel like you have to get embroiled and debate with people because they call you things and they say things that are not arguments. Saying God gives us free will. Who are you to say uh, that we don't have free will? Who are you to try to take that free will? That's not an argument. OK, first of all, it's inconsistent if you were to call it an argument. That's inconsistent to say that because you wouldn't say that about slavery. Right. You wouldn't say that about genocide. You wouldn't say that about sex trafficking. You wouldn't say, hey, you should not take people's free will away. People should be able to do what they want. Would anybody say that about those issues? No, but they only say it about abortion. Okay. Um, you have to ask people that you may have to ask people. Now you do these things in love. We're not here to debate people to get in strife with people, but there are times where people ask you, well, why are you against abortion? Because it may come up now more than it has <laughs> in the past. You know, I, it's a hot topic right now and you, you want to know what to say. Just ask them those questions. Well, do you you believe in free will? Okay, if you're talking to a Christian and God gives people a choice, okay, so should people be able to do, you know, what about pedophilia? What about human, what about sex trafficking? Just ask them those questions. Just put it back on them because it's inconsistent, okay? Yeah, you have a free will for your life to go to heaven, to go to hell, to lie, you know, but when it affects somebody else's life, when it puts somebody else's life in harm, no, you do not have a free will over my life. That's completely different. Okay. Or they'll say, um, you know, we shouldn't legislate morality or religious beliefs. That's another thing. You guys heard that before, right? We shouldn't legislate morality. We shouldn't legislate uh, you know, religious beliefs, um, you know, the whole, it's all part of that free will, you know, free will. I mean, what, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure what people mean by that. Free, does free will mean that just that because God gives us free will that we should as a society just allow people to do what they want, when they want to whomever they want, however they feel like when they want to do it. Does that make sense? I mean, you can't even go to the grocery store, drive to the grocery store if you think that way. Because there are lights, there are stop signs, and what are they there to do? They're to protect you from harming other people. That's what the Ten Commandments are, are right? They're protecting you. They are guardrails, if you will. You know, they're not taking your free will away, but you don't just drive to the grocery store and say, I have a free will. I don't care if the light's red. I'm just going to go through this inner busy intersection. No, that is foolish. You know, free. Nobody believes that when they when it really comes down to it. Everybody believes that there should be standards. There should be laws. There should be things put in place to protect each other from harming one another. Right. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. Uh, now, the reason why I like to quote him is because most people are not going to argue with Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> They're not going to be like, well, he was a, a homophobe. <laughs> people usually don't say anything like that about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It says, certainly if the problem is to be solved, then in the final sense, and I'm answering the question where people say you can't legislate morality. Okay. 
and you can't change people's hearts. Because, I, because as soon as Roe v. Wade was overturned, people were saying that. Christians, you can't legislate morality and you can't change people's hearts. Well, that's half the story. And yes, you cannot change people's hearts. And I agree that laws do not change a person's heart. But, they are, but there is something else that it does. It stops them from hurting me, right? So no, we need the gospel to change people's hearts and the Lord to change people's hearts and the work of the Holy Spirit. But uh, that doesn't mean we have no laws. That doesn't mean that we don't have a law that says you shouldn't murder because, hey, it's not going to change people's hearts anyway. So why have that law? That's foolish, right? So it's Dr. Martin Luther King said this, certainly if the problem is to be solved, then in the final sense, hearts must be changed. Religion education must play a great role in changing the heart. But we must go on to say that while it may be true that morality cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can make him it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that is pretty important also. So there is a need for executive orders. There is a need for judicial decrees. There is a need for civil rights legislation on the local scale within states and on the national scale from the federal government. Now, I don't think anybody would agree, disagree with that, right? No, no, no person looking back then, uh, now I'm saying looking back then should disagree that we are all created equal in the eyes of God and that there needed to be laws put in place so that people do not discriminate based on anyone's color of their skin, right? And it was based on the fact or the truth, I should say, that we all created equal in the eyes of God, right? That's what Dr. Martin Luther King argued. That's according to the Bible, because people don't like when you bring the Bible in and they say, don't legislate your religion. Well, then what do you what do you do with that then? What do you do with the whole civil rights movement? It was based on the truth that we all created equal in the eyes of God. Okay, now, like I said before, it's an inconsistent argument because people wouldn't say that if you used your religious beliefs to say uh, to affirm laws against sex trafficking, genocide, rape, murder. They only use that when it comes to abortion. Okay. And most laws are based on a belief system. The reason why I say most laws, I mean, you, I, I would say all laws, but most laws, because obviously there are laws that deal with procedural things that don't deal, you know, you have to send this in the mail by a certain date and stuff like that. But I'm talking about most um, moral laws are based on someone's belief system, right? It is a belief system. Morality are based on beliefs, are they not? Right. They're based on beliefs. And so the, the question is, whose beliefs should they be based on? And that's where you guys need to understand what you believe about the word of God and what you believe about society and culture. It should be based on the word as a Christian. Now, there are certain things that, of course, I would agree. You don't want to legislate everybody's convictions. If somebody says, I don't believe, uh, well, well, let's just say this. For example, there are issues of the heart that you cannot see. There are issues, for example, like covetousness. Now, it, it can be manifest, but for the most part, you don't know necessarily all the time if someone is covetous. We're not going to make a law that says you, if you commit covetousness, then uh, you are going to be sentenced to prison five years. <laughs> well, you wouldn't always know that because you're you would have to judge the heart you can't see the heart there's a lot and and those things um and, and some of those things just wouldn't be prudent okay 
and you know someone has a conviction i can't eat shellfish i can't eat pork well we're not going to make a law based on everybody's personal convictions even if they try to say it's from the word of god but when it comes to harming other people like i said there are some things that we do need laws uh on to legislate people from harming other people right um, go to, to Psalm 139 real quick. But like I said, laws are based on someone's belief system. And, you know, if you think that, just think about it this way. If you think that you should not legislate any morality, um, Psalms 139, I said, right? If you think that, if you think that, then what is the purpose of voting? What is the purpose of voting? Is not the purpose of voting to express or to voice your own personal values or your belief systems. Is that not the reason for voting? Right? That is the purpose for voting is that you are, you are endeavoring to put somebody in place that has your shared belief systems that has your shared values but you can't say we don't you know put laws in place based on you know um religious beliefs but then you go vote it's that's contradictory that's a contradiction because you are voting you should be at least voting what you believe I mean, if now people can be voting based on popularity and if they like a person the way they look and their in their skin color or their their gender. But those are not typically correct reasons why you vote. You typically are voting to voice uh, to voice your beliefs, to express your beliefs. Let your voice be heard. You know, people are talking about this right now. The midterms, we got to let our voice be heard. Well, what are they talking about? Their voice is the belief that Roe v. Wade should not have been overturned. Okay. So you guys see, you guys follow me, right? Um, is this making sense so far? But it all comes down to this. So those are things that people say, and I'm, I'm sure I could have did a better job of, of expounding on that and touching that. Um, but there's a lot in my mind that I'm trying to, um, uh, you know, move along here because there's still a lot I want to cover. But regardless of those arguments, it all comes down to this question. What is the unborn? What is the unborn? Okay. Go to uh, Psalms 139. Did I already tell you 139? Yes. Psalms 139. And I'm reading this from you, the NIV. What is the unborn? Is the unborn a life? In Psalms 139, starting in verse 13, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, some of these words here, like it says, um, your eye saw my unformed body. Some translations say saw my embryo. Um, and it says all the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So let me ask you this. Should it be based on this verse, based on this text here, should it be valued that the creator God took the time and he, he took the time to write out your life even before a day on earth started. Should, it be, should that be respected? Should that be valued? That God, the creator, he wrote your life, gave you your purpose, even before you were birthed. Should that be respected? Yes. It should be respected. 
did God say, well, let's see what the mother decides to do? Uh, if she chooses to keep the child, then I'm going to give him a purpose. Then I'm going to write his story. Did God do that? No, he gave the child, the unborn, their purpose before they were even born. He wrote their story before they were born. When they were just an embryo at conception, he gave them a purpose. So what are we saying about God, the creator, if he, it says here, you fearfully and wonderfully made in their mother's womb and you knit them together. What would we be saying about God if we say, no, it's not a child. No, it's not a life. We're, what are we saying about God? Is that not disrespectful? Is that not dishonorable? Is that not saying something about God that we don't want to be saying? Is that not saying that he's unintelligent, that he's not smart, that he is not all-knowing? If, if he fearfully, respectfully, and wonderfully created you, knit you together in your mother's wombs, put you together and formed you, and we're going to say that's not a life, then God is not that smart then. If the creator of the universe would take the time to do something like that, it must be important, right? Yeah. Go to Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah, that's uh, just a few chapters to your right after Isaiah. So you got, uh, so, you know, if you're already there. Jeremiah one and you guys probably already know where i'm going with this but it says before i formed you in the womb i knew you before you were born i sanctified you i ordained you a prophet to the nations now notice that god re this is god speaking notice that god refers to you personally in your mother's womb he said, I knew you. He didn't say, I knew a clump of cells. He said, I knew you. What is you? You is personal, right? It is, a, it is a person. You only refer to a person as you. And he said, I knew you before you, uh, 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 let's see, before I formed you in the womb. And he says, I knew you. And I, before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you. He gave you a purpose. He gave you a purpose while you, be, uh, before, while you were in your mother's womb, when you were conceived, he gave you a purpose. Like we just talked about in the previous verses. He gave you a purpose. Now, if God gave a person an assignment, a purpose for their life before birth. You don't give someone a purpose for their life if they do not exist. Do you? We need to know what the word of God says. Do you give a person an assignment and purpose for their life if they don't exist? No. That means they existed before birth. God gave everyone an assignment and a purpose for their life he said, I, I ordained you as a prophet. There are people that he has called to be pastors, evangelists, lawyers, doctors, whatever it is that you are designed and purposed to do. He put that in you before you came out. And so if you abort the child, the unborn, you are aborting the plan and purpose that God has ordained. And that's not okay. That's a serious offense to the creator to say what God has purposed, I will abort. That's a serious issue. And that's a serious matter because all his plan is working together. All his plan is coming together, right? For our good. And so to put it, and so to abort something that God has done, that needs to be taken seriously because think about now we can, I can go on and on and on with this. So we could talk about Moses when 
um, government made a decree that the males were to be uh, killed. What if that was happened? What if that what if they were killed uh, or, or Moses was killed? I mean, they hid him so that he wasn't. But Israel would not have been delivered through Moses. God would have had to his plan and purpose would have been fulfilled, but it would have had to been done another way, possibly. OK, and so you guys understand it is important. God's plans and his purposes. All right. So even even um, even science confirms. Now, you, you don't there are atheists who believe that life believes a conception. So you don't technically um, we as Christians want to know what the word of God. But there are atheists what the word of God says, but there are atheists who believe in life beginning at conception. Or, and when I say atheists, just people that are not even Christians know this, okay? So we, we're, we're answering where, uh, what is the unborn, all right? So who formed the baby based on Jeremiah 1.5? Who formed the baby? God, not the mother. Who gave them their purpose? God, not the mother, so the mother does not have a right to abort the creator's purpose and plan for that person. All right. This is what a few um, medical experts and you, you can just look this stuff up. It's pretty easy. But this one medical expert um, said this in a medical textbook. Human life begins at fertilization, the process during which a male sperm uh, unites with a female uh, ogite, ovum, to form a single cell called a zygote. This highly specialized totipotent cell marked the beginning of each of us as a unique individual. A zygote is the beginning of a new human being. So it's a life. Another person says this. In that fraction of a second, when the chromosomes from pairs, the sex of the new child will be determined. Hereditary char characteristics received from each parent will be set and a new life will have begun. And we know that happens when when, uh, you know, the sperm and egg me. I know that sounds funny to talk about this stuff in church, but, you know, evidently some people don't know this stuff. But when they come together, you know, there's 46 chromosomes, 23 from the male. 23 from the, the mom. And so what am I saying? Even medical experts say life begins at conception. So the unborn, are they life? Yes, they're life. Now, and, and if people say, well, we're not sure if it's life. And well, then the burden of proof is on them to prove that it's not a life. And if you aren't sure if it's a life, doesn't that give you more reason to at least protect it because you're not 100% sure. You don't just automatically kill something because, well, we're not sure if it's a life, so let's kill it anyway. No. I mean, you wouldn't do that with it. If, if you saw a person and their body was lying on the ground and they look like they weren't alive, would you just say, well, let's discard them. They're probably dead. No, you would probably do something to see if you could revive them to protect the life. You have a moral responsibility to do something like that, okay? So another question is, um, can we kill the unborn? Can we kill the unborn? And this is the question. What is abortion? Abortion is killing a life. Right. You cannot kill what is not a life. Something has to be alive for you to kill it. That's why when you ask people what is abortion, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to address it because you know you are killing something that is alive that is going to grow, that is in a, a biological organism. It grows. That's part of the, the, uh, the process of what an organism is. It has growth, right? And so um, uh, what is uh, the unborn? It's a life. And can you kill the unborn? The answer is yes. You can, if you can kill it, that means it's life. If you couldn't kill it, it wasn't alive. All right. So another argument that you hear is what about bodily autonomy? 
Now you hear that one all the time. Bodily autonomy, my body, my choice. You guys heard that phrase before? If you haven't, you've been living in Iraq. (laughs) My body, my choice. And women have a right to do what they want to do with their own body. And men can't say nothing about it. Well, if that's true, that we can't say nothing about it, then men shouldn't be able to be for it as well. They got to stay out of it on both sides, right? So, but my body, my choice. Well, first of all, that is a wrong argument because abortion or laws against abortion do not deal with your body. They are dealing with another person's body. We are not telling you what to do and what you can't do with your body. It is to protect another person's body. Now, the baby inside the mother's womb is a separate human being. It is separate from the mother. Yes, it is in the mother, but it is separate from the mother. It has its own DNA. Uh, it has a different, if, if the mother, if the, the child, I should say, is a male, it has a different biological sex than the mother. It has, by week five, the heart is developing, and approximately week six, the heart, they can detect the heartbeat, okay? And that is around the time that what? That the woman finds out that she is pregnant, okay? Um, it has its own circulatory system. It has its own brain. It has its own finger and toes, and even has its own DNA fingerprint, All right. So is that a human? That is a human. Okay. so laws against abortion aren't telling a woman what she can and cannot do with her body. No, they are telling a woman what she can and cannot do with someone else's body. All right. Now, I know this is seem, you know, methodical, but one of the things that they'll bring up, okay, okay, well, they're a human. They'll concede that, but they're not a person. They don't have personhood and only persons have the right to life. Have you guys heard that? They don't have personhood yet. Only a person has the right to life. And so if they think that, what they have to do is... um, they have to come up with a set of criteria that would try to show that they're not a person and disqualify them from being a person while at the same time not disqualifying disqualifying themselves from being a person, okay? And from what we can see, there are about four things that are different from the unborn and those that do exist, okay? So you guys know I'm talking about a person because a person gets rights under the Constitution. They have the right to life and all humans have the right to life. And so it's really simple. A unborn has the right to life because they are a human. It's really just that simple. Now, I I, I know the whole argument about it is very emotional and, and, and there's a lot of other things into that, but the right to life is that simple. If they're a human, they have the right to life, okay? So what are some of the four key differences? The four key differences that I want you to understand is number one, size. But does size determine your value in life or not? Does size determine your value? that, That means there are certain cultures and ethnicities that would have greater value than others. That means men, for the most part, (laughs) would have a greater value than women, some women, right? Because size. So that is one difference between the, the unborn and the born is their size. So does that disqualify them from being a valuable human being size? Because you would have to say, say the same thing to be consistent you'd have to say the same thing for the unborn and the born, right? If you're going to say, well, the size of them, they're just small like this. Does that, so size outside of life, outside the birth canal, does that affect them as well? 
Does that make a life less valuable? No, we know it doesn't, right? We know the size does not make a life less valuable. What about what they say? Well, they're not, their development. They're not fully developed. Well, <laughs> development is a continual process. It, it, from, from the time you are conceived throughout life. They say that the brain, the human brain, is not fully developed, who anybody knows, until the age of approximately 25, around that age. So because you are not fully developed, should we discard you at 10 years old? Should we say, well, you're, you're, you're not valuable. You're not a life. You're not a person because you are not fully developed. Does that make any sense? No. So see, they have to try to come up with criteria that would disqualify the, the unborn from being a person while not disqualifying themselves. And you can't, as you see, we're going over this because we're in other differences and we're going over what the differences are. Okay. So, and like I said, development is a continual process throughout life. And actually the less developed you are, you're more vulnerable, right? Think about mentally disabled people who are not fully developed in certain areas, mentally challenged people. Should we discard them? So we say you're not a person because you're not fully developed. No, they need more protection. They need greater help. And we have a moral obligation to do more for them, right? It's the same with the unborn. Are you guys following me? Yes. Another thing is, another difference is the environment or the location, we could say. Does your value of life change because of where you are located? Because where you are, your environment, because you're in the womb and out of the womb, does your value change? Now, look at it this way. A premature baby can be born. Pre premature baby. I've seen premature babies. I'm sure you all have images. The size, you know, so small it can fit. The, the the baby can fit in the palm of your hand. You guys probably seen some of those images of a preemie, and some of them, a, a lot of them, have survived. Where the doctor was able to get that preemie out, um, you know. Uh, get get its vitals and everything stable and get the baby going in the right direction right okay so that is a preemie baby a premature baby now let's just say for example the doctor gets that baby vital signs are good everything the baby is doing good you know, it's in the incubator. Everything is fine with that premature baby. And the doctor comes in and, and, and the mother decides, you know what? I don't want that child anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And they decide to tell the doctor, get rid of that baby. If the doctor were to kill that baby, would that not be considered murdered? Yes. Yes, that would be. So the location does not determine the value or the environment does not determine the value of a human life. Okay. And what, a, and the other thing is, well, they say, because it's dependent on the mother. So it's not yet a person because of its dependency. Well, <laughs> a child is dependent on their mother, right? right? A newborn is dependent on their mother. And let's just say for some example, that a child at four years old, both parents die. They die, car wreck or something like that. Is there not a greater sense of responsibility and morality that other people should step up and protect that child and help that child and raise that child? Wouldn't there be a greater responsibility, a, moral, a moral responsibility to help that child, yes. right? Because the child is dependent on an adult. So just because someone is dependent on an adult or on someone else does not mean that the life is not valuable or if the or if that life is dependent. There are people that are dependent on ventilators to live. There is dependency all around. Does that make their life less valuable? No. So I'm just giving you guys some arguments. OK, 
I'm just giving you guys some things to think about. So yes, there are differences. Um, There are differences between the unborn and the born. But as you can see, if you were to magnify those differences and be consistent with them, then you would have to say that there are people in society that we can see walking around that also their life is not valuable. And we know that all lives matter and all lives are valuable. Now, if somebody wants to say, nope, not every life is valuable, well, then that's a different, that's a different argument. We know that person is off, okay? But people say, yeah, but the, you know, because there's all different things. People say, yeah, the, but another difference, yeah, but the embryo doesn't look like a human. It doesn't look like everybody else. Well, so now we're judging based on appearance. Now we're going to say that somebody doesn't look a certain way, so they're not a human. Isn't that something that we already came past in our American history? Are we really going down that road again? Because that's what people basically are doing. Some abortionists are basically saying that all life is not equal. And that is the civil rights movement. It was what was fought for to say all life is equal. Right? And so to say that uh, this life is not equal is going backwards because we're being accused of going backwards. They're saying, oh, we're undoing 50 years of precedent. No, we are not going backwards. We went back with, with the ruling. We went backwards when we said that all lives don't matter and the life in the womb don't matter. We already went through that. We already went through this battle. We already went through this with the civil rights movement. What's the difference? What's the difference? If we want to say, yeah, but free will and free choice, and that means if I want to have slaves and I want to treat people this way and I want to discriminate, I should be able to do it because it's my body and this, and we can't legislate morality. That's not true, is it? We know that doesn't work, right? We, we know by now that doesn't work. All life begins at conception and all life is made in the image of God or our human life is made in the image of God. And we know that it's in Genesis 1, 26, verse 28. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. So 27, God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. So now what? What do we do now? Now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and all that means is that it goes back to the states, okay? And it's up to the states to determine if they're going to ban abortion or not ban abortion. But now what? As a church, what do we do? We want to have compassion on people. I'm not one of these people that think, you know, yes, people, um, there's consequences for your mistakes, there are consequences for your actions. And some people do. They want abortion to be legal just so that they can live a life of sin, so they can fornicate, so they can sleep with whoever they want. They can do whatever, do whatever they want with their body in that regard and sleep around and not have the consequences of, I may, have, I may get pregnant, I may have to take care of this child. And it's on both. The, the male and female. It's not just the female because it takes two people to have sex, right? And so, um, and so we do need to teach as a church. We need to get back to teaching about living a life uh, um, away from fornication, away from sexual promiscuity and, and away from those things. And it's like we forgot about that. And we just say, well, we should not keep them from having an abortion, because now what? Now what are we going to do? I mean, I've seen people say that. Now what? What's the plan now, church? Well, that, I mean, I I don't know if I understand that thinking. What's the plan now? Well, just, you don't aid somebody to do something that's wrong just because people are going to do it anyway. You know, just because young people and single people are going to have sex anyway, you don't give them more reasons to do it, to do something that's wrong. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? This is what goes on in school. They teach them how to have um, 
what's that called? Uh, you know, protect themselves, safe sex and all that stuff that they're teaching in schools. Well, that's the wrong way to go. And their reason is because people are going to do it anyway. So because people are going to do something in their way, we aid them in the sin. And we what I mean by aiding them is that we just allow these laws um, to take place so that there are no consequences. I mean, will we do that with anything? Will we, what about drugs? Well, people are going to do drugs anyway. They'll figure out ways. Yeah, so let's aid them. Let's hear. Let, here, here you go. Here's some drugs for you. You're going to do it anyway because you all have a free will and free choice. No, these things are foolish. Think, I mean, think of the rationale, right? They don't make sense, does it, guys? It doesn't make sense to say we shouldn't have things in place to prevent people from doing things. But what do we do as the church? Um, we want to be compassionate with people when people are in situ, people that have had abortions, first of all, we don't want to, there is no, if they've repented, um, and they regret it and they repent it's under the blood. There's no condemnation. I know people that have had abortions. There's no judgment. I'm not, because that's one thing people say, you don't supposed to judge a person. I'm not condemning anyone. If they've had an abortion, they can get right with God. But if you if someone has had a child and they're not married and they're afraid, there are um, crisis pregnancy centers and the church should be willing to help. The church should be willing to help them, hold their hand, walk them through it, talk them through it. And I know how scary it is to be at a place in life where you feel like I'm not ready to have a child because my wife and I, we were in that place in our life. We were just really in our teenage years, when you think about it, 19 years old. And, and looking back and I know it, I remember you just thought like, it's scary. It is scary to know that you are bringing a life into this world and you feel like I'm just a dumb kid. I have no clue what I'm doing. That's scary. But if I would have made an emotional decision, and it is emotional, and it's tough, and it's challenging, and I understand people, what they're going through and what, what people are going through. So I don't, I'm not one of these hard people. You, you, you sow your, you know, sow it. You got to reap it. You got to, yes. Okay. Yes. People have made mistakes. And yes, we don't want to advocate for people to just continue living a life of sin. And that does need to be dealt with. But I'm talking about if they've already made the mistake, there we need to be gracious and we need to help people get through it. We don't need to be hard and callous and say, well, that's your mistake. You live with it. Sorry, you're on your own. No, we need to come to people's aid. We need to come to people's uh, help. I'm so glad that we have people that did that with us. You know, I remember talk, going to our pastor and talking to him, um, you know, he, he didn't just say, well, you, you committed a sin, your, your life is over. He didn't do that. He wasn't mean. He wasn't judgmental. He helped us. He gave us good advice. We had other people, family, our parents, you know, and I know some people may not have that. And that's why us as the church, we have to help people. I was looking up, I just did a, a, a quick cursory, just a Google search real quick to see how many parents are looking to adopt a child. Uh, and now there doesn't, that doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be a better process in the, adoption pro, in the adoption process. I'm sure there can be a lot of things that can be better. And we're not saying that everything is perfect and fine with those other areas. That's not what we're saying, okay? But just looking it up, it said, I forgot how many, I should have wrote this down, but some you could probably just look it up right now. The first thing, um, it says that there are about 36 families for every one child. There are 36 families ready to adopt one child for every one child there is, if I'm saying that right. So you guys understand what I mean by that? There are 36 families ready to adopt one child for every one child. That's the ratio, 36 to one. And so there are people that are ready to adopt. And then a lot of people, you know, they may think I'm not ready for this. A lot of people have been there. A lot of people say I'm not ready for this. 
but then realize you can be much, you can be ready more. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, there's challenges, but you'll look back and say, man, thank God I didn't do anything stupid. Now, thank, we never thought about that, but, but thank God that, you know, people that do will look back and thank God that I didn't do that. You know, I saw that, um, just to bring up a natural example, Steph Curry, his mom was considering, I think she might've been at the abortion clinic or something like that. I don't want to get the story wrong. You guys heard something like that. Steph Curry's mom was going to have an abortion and she, I think she changed her mind just before the abortion or something like that. You can look it up. I don't remember all the details, but think about that. I mean, the guy just won what his fourth NBA championship and he's influencing people. He's a good guy, family man, kids and stuff. Just think about that. And so every life matters. Life starts at conception. And I hope you guys got something out of this that will help you understand the importance of life and this subject. That is, this is not a political. Do you guys see this is not a political thing. This is a moral issue. People have made it a political thing. But it's a moral issue, and, it ta- and it's basically the morality is God created life, and we should value what God created. And he has an assignment and a purpose for every one of our lives, even those that have not yet been born. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.